You're listening to the Cornerstone Word of Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from Pastor Rhonda. For more information on our church, please visit cwol.org. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 13. We've been reading through Proverbs and commenting on it. Um, And this verse was there. It says, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Aren't you glad about that? We could rejoice over that for a little bit. How many of you know the world's just been holding it for us? Till we're ready. But the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. But I think you should leave an inheritance to your children's children. How wonderful to be that blessed. That you can bless your kids and your grandkids. But this scripture isn't just referring to money. There are different ways to leave inheritances for your children. Let's go to Proverbs 13, 22, same verse in the Amplified Classic. A good man leaves an inheritance of moral stability and goodness to his children's children. And the wealth of the sinner finds its way eventually into the hands of the righteous for whom it was laid up. Glory to God. You should be not only leaving a natural monetary inheritance for your children and your grandchildren, uh, but you also should be leaving a spiritual heritage, a spiritual legacy, spiritual footprints in which they can follow. I am so grateful for the, for the spiritual legacy that was laid out by those who went before me and my family. And I know some of you didn't have that. Uh, but, you know, what? we're going to talk about, you know, your situation in a little bit. But I am so grateful. You know, um, one thing my parents did right was lead us to the foot of the cross. Where we knelt. And their Savior became our Savior. You know, a few years ago for my daddy's 90th birthday, we had a party. And I, I told him that. I'm so grateful. So grateful that you gave me Jesus. And it's true. Sorry, I didn't mean to cry. Whether you realize it or not, you're leaving a legacy, an inheritance not only to your children, but to your children's children and the generations yet to come. Everything we do, every decision we make affects not only us, but those coming after us. You know, it used to trouble me quite a bit. It seemed unfair that I was born in the United States of America where I could hear about Jesus all the time. Listen, if you don't hear about Jesus in the U.S., it's because you're not listening. But, Lord, what about those people in India, in the villages where there's no electricity, where they can't watch the TV? You know, what about, you know, those regions of the world that are not yet reached with the gospel? How is it fair? used to bother me. I said, Lord, can you help me to understand? You know what he said? He said, Rhonda, all, everybody is related back to two ancestors. We have two ancestors in common, every one of us. 
well, two sets, Adam and Eve and Noah and Mrs. Noah. We all descended, DNA proves we all descended from the same mama. Adam and Eve and Noah and Mrs. Noah. Because in the flood, all the other families of the earth were wiped out. It was Noah and his wife, their sons and their wives. That's everybody that was left. So we have those ancestors in common. And the Lord said to me, Rhonda, what that means is that somewhere back in the family line of all those people who are now in such darkness without access easily to the light, somebody knew the truth. But they chose not to follow him. They chose to walk away from God. And with every uh, succeeding generation, the knowledge of God got darker and darker and darker until now they don't even remember him at all. I tell you, the decisions we make, they're important. And they don't just affect us. They affect everybody around us. And even if you don't have natural children, I tell you, the, the effect you have on this world and the people whose lives you run across is everything. You know, I used to encourage our children's workers by saying, a hundred years from now, the world will be a better place because you were important in the life of a child. You taught them the ways of God. You're not just changing their life. You're changing the lives of their kids someday and their kids someday when we put their heart and hand in the heart and hand of the Lord. You know, a hundred years from now, nobody's going to remember what car you drove, how big your house was, how big your paycheck was. But if you can impact somebody for eternity, that lasts. That lasts. Do you understand? Legacy is really important. You know, I personally, and some of you who are in BI have heard this story before, but I personally watched the destruction of a family in two generations. You know, when I was in middle school, I had some friends who were really good sinners. I don't mean, these people weren't casual sinners, you understand? These people practiced and they were good at it. They, they, they uh, drank a lot as teenagers. They, they were into drugs. They had children by different men, all kinds of baby daddies, and one of them was in a mental institution. And I mean, uh, you know, in te- these are all the teenage years. But whenever their grandparents would come to visit, they were introduced to me as religious. Oh, the religious grandparents are coming. Come to find out, their mama was raised in church. And I don't know what happened that caused her to walk away. I don't know what happened that caused her to decide to raise her family out of church instead of in. To raise her family with with no godly influence in the home as opposed to the way she was raised. But let me just stop here and say, people can act, I don't know what happened. Maybe somebody was a jerk. 
Maybe somebody did something terrible to her. I don't know what happened. But you know what? Even if they do, you can't afford to get mad at God and walk away with God, from God because of what some jerky person did. Her whole family line unraveled in two generations. But I've also seen the reverse. I've seen somebody who didn't come from a line of Christians all of a sudden get born again and watch the blessing of God invade their family. I've watched God, oh, restore peace and joy and prosperity and all of that that was not in their natural heritage. Listen, it's important how we live. It's important what we do. It's important whose lives we touch and in what way. We can leave a legacy. We can leave a legacy. I, I don't know about you. I want my life to matter. You know, it's very sad when we go and do a funeral and nobody has anything good to say. How can you live 30, 40, 50, 60 years and nobody can think of anything good to say about you? How sad. I, I, I think that's sad. That verse we just read in the Amplified says, a good man leaves an inheritance, not only of financial wealth, but also of moral stability and goodness to his children's children. Dennis Rainey, who teaches quite a bit on family, said this, your most important job as a parent is to pass on a living faith to your children. A living faith. A living faith. That's not something that can just be taught. I'd say this, it's more caught than taught. It's more caught than taught. I know people who send their kids to church. I know people who enroll their kids in vacation Bible school but wouldn't darken a church door for anything. How many of you know sometimes that doesn't catch? But when you live your life vitally connected to the life source, vitally connected to God himself, then everywhere you go, they sense his presence on your life. You know, when we were in a third world country that, that really isn't very open to the gospel, we had people come up and they say, what is it that's different about you? And we said, well, you know, we're, we're from a different country. And that, that's, not, that's not it. There's something on you. Something People ought to be able to sense him on us. I tell you, we need to strive to live what we preach and say we believe. And reality is we live every day what we truly believe. The rest of it is just fluff. I'll let that sink in a minute. Do your kids know you pray? Do they hear you pray? You know, I'm so grateful. Uh, first time my mama made me pray on my own. 
I think I was 14, had a boy I was crazy in love with. And uh, he found out his parents were getting a divorce. And he came over and he was weeping. And, you know, I was, my heart was broken for him. And I, I don't know, I was, I, I was probably 14. And so when he left, um, my mom, she didn't know what we were talking about, but she said, is everything okay? And I said, well, I told her what happened. And I said, Mama, can you pray? She said, I can help you pray. We knelt there together. She said, you pray and I'll agree. They taught me to pray. They trained me to pray. I tell you, when, when trouble comes, when, when adversity comes to your family, they ought to see you pull in tighter with God. They ought to hear your prayers. They ought to see you not be despairing and hopeless like the world, but to have that anchor in your soul. It'll give them an anchor when the storms of life come to them. I know some parents are of the, I'll never let them see me sweat mode. I, when stuff, when adversity comes to our family, as a family, we go to prayer. As a family, we find scripture and quote the scripture and work that word. What are we doing? We're teaching our daughter to do the same. We're teaching her that when adversity comes, you don't despair. You don't give up. You don't sit down and weep. You, you pull up your pants and you find some scripture and you get after it in God. Nobody's perfect. But do they even see how it works when imperfect humanity lives in vital relationship with a living God? Listen, when you mess up and you know it, it's okay to say, I'm sorry. It's okay to even have your kids hear you say, sorry to the Lord. Teach them to repent. Teach them to course adjust when they get off. Well, Pastor Rhonda, they'll know I'm not perfect. You think they don't know that? Read their phone. It's always enlightening. Hmm. <laughs> All of the things you're doing, all of the decisions you're making, and how you make them influence not only just you and the course of your life, but it affects the course of everyone coming after you. Listen, I know a family who came to the church, and they, you know, had never been in a church like this before. And all of a sudden, their family uh, began to blossom and bloom. And each member individually began to blossom and bloom spiritually. Their kids were learning about God in children's church. They, you know, they were maturing and, and, and learning the precepts of God. Their, their marriage was stronger. Their husband, the husband was seeking after God. Maybe for the first time in his life was growing, was doing well. But you know what? They were a very upwardly mobile family that 
uh, drive to succeed was so deep within them that the enemy came along and offered them a job out of state with a buku boatload more money. And you know what? Without even praying, they took it. We knew they were wrong. I said as little as I thought I could slide in there since they didn't even ask. Their friends told them, I don't know if that's right. But they did it anyway. Listen, these are people I know. Listen to me. In fact, God supernaturally spared that woman's life here. She was in a shooting. Her hair wasn't this long. And she felt the bullet graze through her hair. But God supernaturally spared her life. Wasn't very many years after they left here that the destruction began. Their marriage got rocky. Their finances tanked. Their health went bad. Their children began to rebel. Carried off into captivity. One parent died way too young. I don't think the other parent is serving God. And if their children are serving God, I don't know what I asked somebody this afternoon. Who knows the family? I said, are there kids or any of them serving God? She said, not that I know. What am I saying? What are you saying, Pastor Rhonda? If we leave Cornerstone, our whole life's going to fall apart. If you heard me say that, that is not what I said. You're just looking for something. Knock it off. I'm talking about living vitally connected to God or not. I am talking about when a decision comes. Are you seeking the Lord as to what you need to do? Are you living according uh, in submission to his word? Or are you just out here trying to be upwardly mobile? What is your priority in life? Whether you know it or not, those priorities are being instilled in your children. You are the greatest influence in their lives. After all, you're Superman, right? You can dispel monsters under their bed with one fell swoop. You, you're, you can pick them up uh, and when they're in pain and, and kiss away all the agonies of their life. They look at you like the superhero you wish you really were. And they're going to follow your example. It's not so much do what I say, not what I do. As much as it is monkey see, monkey do. They're going to do what they see you do. First Kings 15. How many times, I was thinking this afternoon, did we, do we read stuff like this? 
Nabdab, son of Jeroboam, became king of Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. Next verse. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the ways of his father. He saw his father rebel and sin against God and do things that displeased God. And he followed the ways of his father and committing the same sin his father had caused Israel to commit. His father was a leader. His father was the king. And because of his influence, even the people of the nation were led into sin. But this guy followed the ways of his father. Let's go to 1 Kings 22, 51. Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. Just two years. Just two years. Why? Because he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Because he followed the ways of his father and mother and of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. Verse 53. He served and worshipped Baal and aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, just as his father had done. Second Kings 20, can't read my own notes, 21. Amon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem two years. His mother's name was Meshulameth, daughter of Heruz, and she was from Jotba. And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. Verse 21, he followed completely the ways of his father, worshiping the idols his father had worshiped and bowing down to them. Verse 22, he forsook the Lord, the God of his ancestors, and did not walk in obedience to him. All right, let's go on. Second Chronicles 17, 3. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father David before him. How many of you know you can be a good influence? He did not consult the Baals, verse 4, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. All right, let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 31. So Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king of Judah, and he reigned in Jerusalem 25 years, and his mother's name was Azuba, daughter of Shehel, Shilhi, sure, whatever. He followed the ways of his father Asa and did not stray from them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Glory to God. One more. Well, I've got two more here. Two more. Second Chronicles 34.1. This will be the last one we do. Second Chronicles 34, 1 Chronicles 34.1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Eight. Lord, help us. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. How many know that's a nice long reign? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. 
Verse 3, in the eighth year of his reign, so now he's 16, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. I tell you, what you put in those children, what you put in them is coming back out. It may not be there right this moment. How many of you know sometimes the devil will hit a kid with a stupid stick? You know what I mean? I mean, they might go through a time when they're like, you know, I got I to think for myself. I got to figure out things for myself. How many? When you put the right stuff in there, it'll come back. Glory to God. The Bible says, raise up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. How many of you know they can run, but they can't hide? The hounds of heaven are on their tail all their lives. I don't even know if that's scripture. We used to grow up knowing the hounds of heaven were chasing us. But anyway, I don't think it's, I don't think it's in there anywhere. Uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, praying mamas and daddies can get after the kids. Matter of fact, you ought to be fighting for your kids. If you don't do it, who's going to fight? Don't be moved by what they're saying. How many know it's just stupid? They, everybody goes through stupid phases. I went through stupid phases. My mama chased me to the car. My mama, I was going to church. It didn't matter how much attitude I showed. It didn't matter how much ugliness I spewed. My mama took a belt off. She had a big, wide leather belt she used to put the fear of God in us. Because my mama knew how to use that thing. And the times I sassed her and we didn't want to go to church, she took off that belt. One time she chased me to the car. But I went to church. And you know what? God met me there. He met me there because my poor little mama chased me to the car swinging the belt. If we followed the lives of these kings who followed the examples of their father before them, those that followed after God as they saw in their father did well. The others who followed their parents in sin did not do well at all. Let's go back just real quick. I really don't have time, but 1 Kings 15, 25. We just read it. Nadab, son of Jeroboam, became king of Israel. We just read this a minute ago. In the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. <gasps> Next verse. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the ways of his father, and committing the same sin as his father caused Israel to commit. The very next verse. Basha, son of Ahijah, from the tribe of Issachar, plotted against him and struck him down at Gibbethon, a Philistine town, while Nadab and all Israel were besieging it. He died young. He died early. Let's read on. I'm not trying to make you afraid for your kids. I'm not. I'm just saying it's important, the example, that we live before them. Listen, we ought to live in such a way that, that we show them the way to go, not make them have stuff they've got to get over all the time. 
First Kings 22:51. We just read this. Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king of Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he walked in the ways of his father and mother in the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. He who served and worshipped Baal and provoked the Lord the God to Israel, just the God of Israel, to anger, just as his father had done. This is the very next verse. After Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, go and consult Baal, Zebub, that's a false god, an idol, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, is it because there is no god in Israel that you're going off to consult Baal? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will not leave the bed you're lying in. You will certainly die. And if we read on down, he died. Ammon, who followed in his father's ways wrongly, his, his officials conspired against him and assassinated the king in his palace. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because in his early years, Second Chronicles 17, 3, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because in his early years he walked in the ways of his father, his father David had followed. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. Then the very next verse, the Lord established the kingdom under his control and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor and on and on and on. And my, my point in, in doing all this is this. Listen, the Bible says there's cruelty in the habitations of darkness. The way we steer our children, the example that we set before them is everything. It's everything. God doesn't want them out there in the world where, where, they, where they have such adversity, where there's death and sorrow and, and, and people using people and not caring and using their bodies and being done with them when they're done and everything that goes with the sinful lifestyles of this world. We have a responsibility to help them to be that godly example before them, to show them the path to walk in the blessing of God. It's our responsibility. What is most important for us to pass down to our children? We can pass down all kinds of stuff. Every day I look at my daughter and I think, man, you got my sass, girl. I don't know if that's a, uh, yeah, I just want to pray for a crop failure. <laughs> Thank God we can pray for crop failures. If you don't know my daughter, that's, she's not here tonight so I can say it. She, she can be sassy just like her mama, unfortunately. You know, they get all kinds of things from us we never really intended for them to get. But you know what? If you see things in there, maybe you didn't know any better. Maybe you weren't walking right with God or, or, or things were going on. Man, pray for a crop failure. 
Repent. Ask the Lord and do better. Start now. Start throwing new seeds. Ask the Lord for crop failure on the old seeds and start throwing the new seeds. It's never too late. As long as there's breath within them and breath within you, it is never too late. In fact, it's good for kids to see you course correct when you need to. If you just persist in your own way because you're stubborn, they're going to, what do you think they're going to do? No, I thank God for repentance. There's some teaching that went around just a few years ago. You don't ever have to repent once you're born again. Love means never having to say you're sorry. There's some stupid song like that in the 70s. How many of you know in relationships, that's just as much baloney as it is with God? When you mess up, you apologize. You take responsibility for it and you say, I'm sorry. And it's the same thing with God. What in the world? That repentance allows us to course correct. If you never repent, it's a gift. It allows us to course correct. Listen, nobody's going to be perfect. Your kids may grow up with a little sass like mine. None of us are perfect. But the one thing that's most important for you to get to them is a vital relationship with God. A live, living, alive relationship with God. Where they can see him and feel him and watch him answer the prayers they heard you pray. Watch him as you quote the word, cause circumstances to change as you set that example before them. We can give them a legacy of life in God that will insulate them from the world and its craziness. And even if the world influences them for a while, it can't stay because we have promises in the Word. When you train up a child in the way they should go, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. It says in Galatians 3, I believe 13 and 14, that uh, we've been redeemed from the curse of the law because Jesus was made a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. He became a curse so that we could be delivered from the curse of the law. Go back in Deuteronomy 28 and see what that is that you've been delivered from. One of the things you've been delivered from is watching your children be carried off into captivity. So when the enemy tries, you need to put your spiritual stake in the ground and say, bull heck. Not gonna happen. No. No. I have a promise from my father. Listen, they can run, but they can't hide. Got them hounds of heaven chasing them everywhere they go. I haven't thought about them hounds in 20 years, 30 years. 
They're coming home. They're coming back to what they know is true. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what kind of nonsense is coming out of their little mouths. It's in there. And I got a promise. It's in there. And we got a promise. And just for the record, my daughter is doing great. It's not, this is nothing about my daughter tonight, okay? Other than the sassy part, which she's going to get mad at me. But that's what happens when they don't go to church. You know, get talked about in the sermon. <laughs> I know I'm in so much trouble, my husband's saying. <laughs> oh, it's absolutely the truth, but oh well. <laughs> but you know what? She knows there's a God because she's seen him in us. She knows he answers prayer because she's seen him answer ours. She knows how to fight with the word. Oh, my stars, when she was a little girl. She, I, well, I don't even know, uh, four, five, six. I shouldn't tell stories on her. This is terrible, but this is a good story. Uh, she, she fell down. We have hardwood stairs, and she fell down the stairs, and she really got hurt, uh, like internal, internal hurt. And uh, she was not feeling well. We had company, so she tried to leave us alone, and finally she came, and she said, something's not right. I've, I, I'm hurt. So we, we went into the stick. She pulled us into the bathroom away from our company. We had international company. And, um, and I said, well, let's pray. And before I could open my mouth, girlfriend took off. I, I was shocked because, you, you know, you do this stuff in front of them and you hope they're getting it. But the first time you see it come back. It, it's really an amazing thing. Girl, she was quoting scripture. She was binding. She was loosening. She was rebuking. I, I'm, I'm looking over her head at my husband with my mouth hanging open. I'm not even praying yet. He, we're looking at each other with our mouths hanging open, and she was tearing it up. And I'm telling you, God touched her body that night. It's in there if you put it in there. Oh, Lord. Have mercy upon me when I go home. <laughs> but you know what? Maybe you didn't have a good example. But I'm so grateful if that's true of you that God rescued you. Everybody has a free will. Everybody gets to decide for themselves. You know, I'm so glad that God saved you. I'm so grateful that we don't have to follow the negative examples of our parents. That's the good thing about life. We get to, you know, you know discard. You know, you know, like if you're playing cards, which, you know, that's really not a sin if you don't play bad games. But, you know, if, you, if you're, you're playing like old maid or go fish, you know, and you got these cards, you know, the, the, you know, you're not responsible for the hand that is dealt you. You can't help the family you were born into. You can't help the way you were raised. But as life goes on, you can discard. 
You can discard and you can pick up those cards from God. You can pick up the card that says I'm angry and bitter and, and, and full of resentment that was modeled before you and say, no, I'm learning to forgive. I'm choosing to. You can draw from the deck of God and discard that which you know is contrary to the word and shouldn't be in your life. I'm so grateful that he changes lives, that he redeems lives. You may be the first person in your family to ever be born again. And if you are, that is totally stinking awesome. Now you're starting a whole new branch on a whole new tree that's going to be a blessed branch. It's going to be a prosperous branch. It's going to be, oh, a branch where the life and the health of God flow freely. Glory to God. But most importantly, it's going to be a branch that lives forever. Full of goodness because it's full of God. so grateful for the legacy that was given to me when they knelt with me at the foot of the cross and led me to my Savior. Seriously, the, the greatest accomplishment of my life thus far was the day I knelt with my little girl and led her to Jesus. She has eternal life. There's nothing more important than giving that legacy to your children. Listen, if you've not done it, if you pray for a crop failure and go on. Start sowing good seeds today. You can change the trajectory not only of your life but of theirs. By the decisions you make from here on. You know, sometimes as grandparents, parents are different people. You know, I, I was I, I was getting after my daughter one day and I was going for her. You understand what I mean? Uh, I am my mama's daughter. And I was going with my rod of correction to enforce right behavior. And my mama steps in, my own mother stepped in front of me and she said, don't you spank that child? I'm like, who are you and where were you when I was a child? And that's a somewhat silly example, but maybe you can't be that for your children anymore. But if you've got grandchildren, you can. If you've got coworkers, you can. If you've got people that you interact with on a daily basis, listen, you ought to have people looking up to you all the time, people that you're helping, people that you're pumping God into, because when it's all said and done, that's the only legacy that's going to last. It's not the size of your bank account or the size of your car or, or, or the model of your car. Nobody's going to remember that in a 100 years. But people might remember that you were spiritually important in their family. And that lasts forever. We hope you're inspired by today's message. 
If you want to hear more from the Word of God, head over to cwol.org. Check us out on YouTube or any social platform under at Madison. We believe God is working within you, and we want you to know Him so you too can make Him known.